Stuart Butterfield once said, Every customer interaction is a marketing opportunity. If you go above and beyond on the customer service side, people are much more likely to recommend you. And we couldn't agree more. Welcome to growing a B2B SaaS. This show is not like any of the other startup podcasts. On this show, you'll get actionable and usable advice. You'll hear about all aspects of growing a business to a business software company. Customer success, sales, funding, bootstrapping, exits, scaling, everything you need to know about growing a startup with SaaS. And you'll get it from someone who's going through the same journey. Welcome to Growing a B2B SaaS. Now your host, Joran Hoffman. Welcome to the first episode of this podcast. In this podcast, we'll cover all topics on how to grow your B2B SaaS, no matter in which stage you are in. If you want to grow your SaaS startup in the long term, you'll definitely need a product people love and maybe more important, know how to use. This is why we're going to start with our show. We're talking about UX and UI. I personally don't know a better person to do this than with Peter Loving. He knows everything about building products which are intuitive, easy to use and are converting signups into paid clients. Currently living in Barcelona, founder of User Active, a UX and UI design agency, and he's organizing SaaS Talk Local in Barcelona in his free time. Without further ado, welcome to the show, Peter. Thanks for having me, uh, Joran. Thanks for the intro. I'm excited to speak with you. One thing I always ask myself, as in when I listen to a podcast, why should I listen to this person? So I'm, I'm just going to ask you a blunt question. Why should people listen to you today? Yeah, sure. It's a it's a great question. So I've worked within SaaS for 15 plus years, and I've always been coming from the angle of product design. I studied product design in university, and then I've also designed hundreds of SaaS products. I started consulting, essentially, as a product designer, and over time decided to focus on delivering that service as an agency, growing an agency. And what we do is we consult with SaaS companies every day on how to improve their products so that they can deliver the best customer customer experiences possible and design products that their users will love, basically. So we spend uh, all day, every day looking at SaaS, designing SaaS and living and breathing SaaS products. So I've seen a lot of challenges and problems that come up when designing and building SaaS. And I've worked on resolving and solving these problems for for a wide range of different companies and sectors, all all within SaaS. So hopefully I'm in a good position to help people that are on their journey building their, their SaaS products. I know you are, but just for the listeners out there who don't know you yet. Let's start today with with the basics. UX, UI, what is the difference before we really start digging in deeper? Yeah, it's a good question. A good place to start. UX stands for user experience, and that's related to everything around the experience, how the user experiences your product, how they use it functionality, how the product is structured, how features are presented, how they work, how how, uh, workflows operate through the product. It's what makes the product intuitive. I like to do an analogy with like physical construction between this. So you can think of UX as kind of architecture, drawing out the blueprint of of a building. 
the plans where where are the doors how do they relate to other areas in the building you know is the kitchen near to uh, other convenient spaces like where you might be eating for instance uh, are fire exits uh, conveniently located in a place where everybody can get to them so this is how people experience the physical space and then ui is really around the aesthetic you know the 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 look and feel it, it communicates personality it communicates the brand of a company uh, and it also provides the aesthetic something that gives the product a certain finesse so that it gives it a good impression to new users and, and i i liken this to say the construction and decoration phase of a building so if you're thinking about your ux is your architecture then ui is like your interior designers and decorators coming in once the building's constructed and they're making it look beautiful and feel beautiful for a place for people to spend their time living or working. So that's, that, that's a quite a, a fairly good analogy I, I like to use to explain the concept. Yeah, and I think this is one uh, people now understand. Like if they listen to this, then they know what is going to be the difference. I like it. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that's... In terms of practical sense, I can go just one step more to give practical sense is that the actual tools we're doing in UX are things like wireframing, scoping, thinking about the structure of navigation, and then also understanding users, interviewing them, doing different UX exercises to understand their requirements. And then in UI, what we're working with is color palettes, space typography interactions what happens and what we what we what we present and how we how we do that so those are those are the kind of different tools that you'd, you'd be using in each of those stages nice nice thanks and in the intro you gave you mentioned a lot SaaS 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 you do everything in SaaS <laughs> you have experience in SaaS are you purely focused on B2B SaaS if I'm not uh, mistaken why like what do you love about SaaS yeah so I've always found uh the the process of designing products very interesting so that comes from identifying a problem or something that you could do better or improve for a certain demographic or group of people and the process of creating something from scratch a way to do something better and provide people with a functional product that improves their life or their workflow or, or an aspect of their day-to-day -day tasks um, i've always found that process really interesting stimulating so there's a, a combination of problem solving creativity you know ingenuity often innovating but there's also a technical element to it of almost like engineering so you, you know we need to think about how these things are built and how to design so that they're not only easy to build, but also the usability operates too. So I've always seen this as a kind of com combination of your typical, your, your kind of artistic side of design. Uh, and then your engineering or technical side of design. So for me, that's been a perfect balance. I was quite interested in that for, from a fairly early age. So I was fortunate enough to know that that was something I wanted to study. So I studied product design. And in university, that was around com consumer products, so 3D products that we might have in the in the home, things like, you know, iPhones or MP3 players. But that translates really well to the web. And as I was doing some web design in my early career, I became attracted to working on products because, because just uh, the nature of the problems and the challenges that, that you have throughout that process are really stimulating. But I guess like with, I mean, with SaaS, you can't touch it, right? So you talk about physical products with SaaS, we're just creating something on the, on the screen. Like one more question to dive a bit deeper. Why I guess something you can't touch versus something you can touch. Yeah. Interesting. Well, 
I kind of transitioned because it was more a practical choice at the time, but also what was happening in the industry. So physical or, or industrial product design, a lot of times you're working in an R&D center, research and design, or you're working near manufacturing. And just for practical reasons, I, I studied in Cardiff in Wales. And when I finished university, I went back to London, which was which is my home uh, town. And a lot of the early stage careers required you to relocate to, to somewhere in Europe or, or Asia, where there's a lot of manufacturing for, for consumer products. And at that time, I first of all, I wanted to be back home in London. I really enjoyed the lifestyle in London at that time when I finished university. And also... It was what was happening in tech was very fascinating because Facebook had just started to become popular and LinkedIn and these kind of platforms were emerging and making the web a very interesting space to work. Firstly, it was a practical reason. But second, secondly, it was my interest was piqued by by digital tech and the innovation happening there. And once I realized that the skills are very transferable for a product designer between, you know, the physical products and then obviously digital, I was really set to kind of make that transition. And then I was quite captivated by, by what was happening in the web. Nice. Well, let's continue on the web. web. So uh, purely focused on, on B2B SaaS, I guess for, for people listening, what do they need to take away? Like what are the most common mistakes you see companies make with UX and UI? Yeah, this is a really great question. I've seen quite a lot. So for early stage B2B SaaS companies, one thing I see happening a lot is that the teams are predominantly technical. They might be a developer, co-founders that might be two developers or a developer and a, a marketer, something like this. And they will start building a product without product designers or that, that expertise. And it can be a good way to start. You know, you have to start with your strengths and what resources you have available. So what, but what tends to happen is that if the if the product gains some traction and then you're continuously building on this product when you bring in or when you have the resource to bring in a product designer a lot of the product needs reworking to make it more intuitive and to improve the way features are presented and the workflows that users take through the product so it's not necessarily a mistake in terms of something that people can change because it, you know you you have to build with what you have in the beginning you know especially if you're bootstrapping a startup but it just means that there's some work that's going to be coming down the line if you want to improve the ux and ui of your product so that's one a very common place for issues to occur is in onboarding so i like to focus on onboarding quite a lot because it's the first impression users have of a product and it has a lasting impact mistakes i see in onboarding is often not presenting your strongest features enough also not giving the user some form of orientation so presenting the product getting them showing them around the product how to use it introducing all the features and this lends itself towards activation really what you're trying to do is get your user to get activated and start using your features and benefiting from them so another uh, mistake i see in onboarding is not enough focus leading the user on this journey towards activation sometimes there are too many choices for what they can do so it can be overwhelming and uh, sometimes they aren't given enough information. So they'll land in a product and they're thinking, oh, what do I do next kind of thing? So onboarding is a big one where I see mistakes. And then typical areas that can hurt a SaaS company are not having workflows around the product experience that help firstly the user get more value and secondly the SaaS company to to benefit from all the work that they put into acquisition so this might be something like having an upgrade flow quite often i see products without a good user journey to help users upgrade or add 
new seats or pay for more usage or even just the the workflows of their day-to-day tasks sometimes they're not intuitive so that's another another common mistake i see and one more i could touch on is around it kind of relates to both of these topics but it's activation of features so one thing that we design for a lot for new users especially is empty states so say you have a a, a bunch of features on your in your product when a user signs up for the first time they don't really have data in their account it's a common problem that they're coming into an empty account. So what we like to do is to design for empty states. We design, we explain what the feature does. We explain how it would look like if it's busy. We explain what it would help them with. And we encourage and guide them through the process of getting started using that feature. So we give them a call to action and a a process to go step through step to to get that feature activated. So quite often you'll see in in, early stage SaaS that you'll have blank screens and they're not really populated with a good empty state for users. So that that's, yeah, that, that's quite a common mistake we see. It just, it just means that you miss an opportunity to really guide a user through to having success on your product. I can relate to a lot of these, these issues, I guess, starting with the first one, as in like firstly being bootstrapped, we indeed made the mistake that we, we went with one code for front end and backend, and we're now in this migration process where we have to separate both of them, which is a hassle, but we went with what we got, which was a backend developer who knew how to front end a bit, but he did it in one code language where now, um, we're just two months migrating basically to two separate entities, I guess, back and the front end. Yeah. These are the kind of challenges that the occur, it means you, you're going back sometimes and reworking something in order to later on have it more scalable or make more steps forward. And this, this challenge that you encountered with on the technical side of your two code bases for the front and back end, we also have a similar issue that can occur with product design relating to design systems. So if, if we design a product without using a design system, sometimes inconsistencies in the UI can build in, build up over time. And then later on, you might get to a point where you can introduce a design system. And then that means you have to kind of go back and retrospectively update the UI with your new design system. So it's an analogy that can happen in, in design too. And it's something, something to be aware of. I mean, if you have product design resource on your team from the beginning, it's great to start by using a design system so that it enables you to scale and work more efficiently as you, as you keep on building the product. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And maybe really practical when you say design system, like what exactly do you mean? Meaning like the typography, the, the, the font, the, um, those kind of things, right? Yeah. So a design system will be a whole set of rules around how to design components. And really what you're en- ending up with is a consistent set of rules that you can apply to every time you're designing something. So we work in Figma and we'll often use design systems in Figma. They can be custom built by product designers, but famous design systems might be something like Material UI that has a whole set of components that are that have been built based on the design guidelines and spec so the spec covers everything around a use of color spacing between elements what borders look like all of the different hover states the the set of icons the typography so it really is a a guideline for everything around the the design look and feel in in the product Nice, nice. Yeah, great. Thank you. When you when you mentioned the common mistakes where you talked about onboarding, you talked about activation, you talked about upgrading, you touch a lot of things within the app, right? Like where, in your opinion, does 
UX start and where does it actually end? Yeah, I think UX starts from the from the absolute beginning. So whether you are consciously working on it or not, you're you're creating an experience for your users. If you're applying skilled UX principles from the beginning, it's like the very first interaction that your user has with your product. I think things need to start with UX. If you if you're building a business from scratch, you have some work that comes before that knowing the industry, understanding the problem, understanding the addressable market for the product you're building. So there's a lot of business uh, theory and knowledge. But once you get moving on to designing a solution, I think UX is starting there. You know, your very first wireframe of an MVP, your very first kind of sketches. This is this is already UX work. So I think that's where it starts. And really, if you're working on a product, UX never ends because what happens in product design work is that you're always iterating. Products always are growing in SaaS. Over the lifetime of a product, new features are introduced, features are upgraded, sometimes features become obsolete. And they are retired from a product. And even as products scale, you get this other thing, you know, the largest SaaS companies in the world start to fragment their product up into different categories. So you'll see this with things like Salesforce and HubSpot. They'll have a, a sales uh, platform, a marketing platform, and, and, and they start to have packages for different use cases. You know, originally the product was one thing, but it grew so big, they could start segmenting it and marketing it to different audiences. So product evolution ne never really stops. And I think there's always a, a very critical role for UX uh, within SaaS. I 100% agree. And I think that goes really well into my next question. Question. So UX never stopped, right? So you always keep evolving. You always keep improving. Let's say I want to start basically improving my UX. Like where do I start? And is there like a certain process I should follow? Are there steps you would recommend for people to really start teaching the UX yeah, for the platform right now? Yeah, th this is a really interesting area because it's it varies from for case to case. So every company has a unique set of challenges and they're in a different situation or life cycle in their product. So it's really important to understand what your priorities are, what you're trying to achieve and what are the biggest pain points for you and your product? So when I get to speak with a company that's interested in doing this, we always find out, you know, what what is the highest priority? What what is the thing that's either preventing you from selling more, or that's causing pain and preventing your your existing customers from getting more value? And when we look at those biggest pain points, usually that's a good place to start and address those. So examples I can give you might be a SaaS company that's been operating for or 10 plus years and the product is starting to look dated. They haven't refreshed the UI for a long time. And now there are competitors in the space. As you know, SaaS is getting to be a very competitive space and they might have funding. They might have a new, cleaner, sexier UI. And so they're more attractive to prospects and, and users that they're selling to. So for this company, one of their priorities is to upgrade the UI in order to provide a better you know, representation of their product and convert more and, and sell more to have a better perception in the marketplace. And in other cases, it can be there's some problem within the product. There's some area that existing users are having problems with. A feature has been built and it's advanced and it it has a lot of capability, but maybe it's not the most intuitive, even if the UI is modern. So then we'd go back and look at, okay, how do we 
make this product more intuitive and roll out a kind of update to the UX, keeping that same feature set, but just really improving it for, for existing users and making it easier to adopt. So I, that, that's how I'd approach that. I'd always say, you know, you're looking for the biggest pain points. You're also looking for what makes most sense commercially. You know, you're trying to grow a SaaS business and provide as much value as you can to your users. So anything that's going to immediately have an impact on that is, is a really strong place to start. Yeah. yeah. And I really like that you look at it from that perspective. I mean, that's, of course, the most important we do in SaaS, right? Generating money recurring revenue or annual recurring revenue. You talk about selling more, creating value. Maybe one follow-up question on this, like, how do you measure, I guess, the success of your changes? Like what, what metrics do you follow? Good metrics to follow on this can be revenue-based, but it can sometimes be difficult to derive a monetary value on, on design work. Sometimes it's sometimes it's not as tangible as that. If you're, if you're doing things like improvements to onboarding or upgrade flows or features that can be considered premium or paid for, then you might be looking at conversion metrics. So how many users uh, upgraded from free trial to a paid plan? And did that conversion increase during the free trial period? That's a really good metric to, to follow. If you have something like a CRM or a workflow management or project management software, then collaboration plays a big role in those kind of platforms. So have you been able to enable users to invite team members and other people that they work with to collaborate with? And uh, how did that impact their accounts? You know, was their account expansion there? So that's another revenue thing. If they add more seats and they're paying for more users, then then if we designed a workflow to let them do that easily, did that workflow have an increase in conversions on, on account expansion? Things like that. You can also measure, did you reduce churn? If you know your churn rate, then you implement improvements in your app based on feedback. And you look at how that has affected churn rate or lifetime value, things like that. Other ways to do it that don't relate to just revenue might be utilization metrics. And they're great things to get a gauge of in terms of how much usage people are getting from your platform and how much value they're getting. So if you if you had a team who are, you know, that every every time you have a team signing up and, and starting to use your product, but they don't engage and activate very much and it takes a long time for them to adopt the product. If you roll out some UX improvements, are they starting to log more sessions? Are they staying in those sessions for longer? Are they completing more tasks? And are they activating features more quickly? So utilization metrics are a really good indicator on, on value and how well your new users are adopting the platform. 100% agree. And I think every company should have a North Star metric. Uh, so not just, I guess, focusing on money recurring revenue, but also have a metric in mind, which aligns with the value your client should be getting from the platform. Just to give an example, like ours is, it's related to the MRR our clients are generating. So all those things indeed have to happen, but in the end, they need to generate money. Like that's, that's the thing. And before that, we need to optimize all the flows, all the conversions, et cetera. This is a really um, nice metric because it's not making it about you, right? It's exactly. making it about your users and you're increasing MRR for them. The more that you can do that, the, the more you're obviously de delivering value. So you're incentivized to work on their benefit. And that's that's a really good one. We, we worked with a client recently, a CRM, who their North Star metric was number of messages sent by, you know, by each user. So our design work became focused around making the messaging function 
easier to use, promoting it more around the product, you know, from the dashboard, from the navigation or contextually, where, wherever they are in the app. And so it's a good example of how North Star Metric can just focus you on the value that your users are getting. And, and then you're always working towards improving that. Yeah, yeah, I really like it. And it's a good addition because I would definitely recommend before indeed you start these projects to have a North Star metric. Like what is the value your, your clients are actually looking for? I mean, they're not looking to use your tool. They're uh, looking to get an outcome out of it. So define the outcome, put your North Star metric against it and then help them to get there. Yeah, that's right. And at early stage, you know, when when people are becoming interested in SaaS, it can be that they're interested to the business model of SaaS, which means, oh, it would be great to have a business with recurring revenue. I want a business with recurring revenue, right? And if you if you develop that mindset, you forget that actually the focus is delivering value to customers. If you focus on that, recurring revenue can and may come, but uh, focusing on getting recurring revenue, it, I think it's the wrong mindset. So the North Star can help you, you know, keep you focused on, on delivering value. Exactly, exactly. You see a lot of companies who just want to make money uh, without actually giving or keeping in mind that they do need to have a product which people really like and get value from. Yeah, yeah. People underestimate how difficult it is to build a product that delivers value, but actually build a SaaS. I think that's quite quite a common misconception. And we're definitely going to have other podcasts which are going to be more related to that. Like you, you talked about a lot of things already, right? Uh, like I can imagine you're not coming into every company, especially as an as an agency. Like, give me an idea, as in what would be the best company or what would be the best time for a company to reach out, like a, a, an agency like yourself, to get help on board? So we're really well positioned to help companies transition between building a product when they're in that you know founder stage and they have technical founders and they've taken it up to a point where they might have an engineering team, but they haven't ever had design in their product. And they have revenue and potentially have funding as well. Because in during you know, early stage bootstrap, generally there's not the resource to pay for agencies to work with. And it can be that someone on the founding team is taking a product role or that or you're working with freelancers on kind of project-based occasions to help with design. But where we come in is really when there's a real need to improve the, the product experience, uh, make it more intuitive, and just give them that competitive advantage once you've gone past that early startup stage. So a typical client for us looks like a, a team of around uh, 10 to 30 people. They're quite technically focused. The product is, is functional and it, and it looks really good but it just hasn't been designed ever by, by a product designer. So then we can make a lot of big improvements. And, and that's a, a time where there's a lot of wins, you know, particularly if there are existing customers. The other thing that happens quite often is that we'll design a product from the ground up. So it might be a, an enterprise or, or a corporate company that is launching a product within their business and they're not necessarily going through a typical funding route, but they have they have revenue and they have a very clear spec of, of what they need and the problem that it solves. Okay, so definitely not early stage, but after that stage where they have money, have clients and they can make the wins on whatever you're going to change is going to have an impact basically on, on what is happening within the product. Yeah, that's right. And and what I've also found is that not necessarily later stage two, because after series A, series B, usually companies have an internal product design team. Yeah. Now they might need some support, which we could help with, but really they're typically, 
you know, they've got these resources in-house so that they they maybe have the preference to do this in-house. So it's the kind of not the very early stage and not the later stage. It's like that kind of just before the middle. Well, I really like that you you have your ICP like really clearly defined. Like that's one thing I guess I would always recommend to people listening have your ICP, have your North Star metric, and then you know exactly what you need to focus on. Yeah, I mean, it, it really helps. And sometimes you learn that through trial and error over, over time. You know, I wasn't always so clear on who that was until I started to find the customers that really needed us. And when I profiled them, you know, they would start to have very, very similar profiles in terms of stage of their business and this current situations. And it really helped me to refine and focus. Okay, and we're really focused on these and then build our service to make the most impact with with those with that profile exactly and i mean it can change over time but having it clearly defined is definitely going to help you with the acquisition as well as you mentioned like it's really easy then to find those companies in the same state with the same characteristics oh that's fun yeah that's it that's it yeah completely nice so when we talk about user experience in in general and we're just going to cut it up into different stages like what kind of advice would you give SaaS founders when they're just starting out maybe pre-revenue what kind of advice would you give to those in terms of building a good customer experience so think about how you would like your users to think and feel when they use your product what emotions do you want them to come away with what impression if you were asking them to describe their experience using a product how would you like them to describe it so if you get clear in that then then you can take that insight and put it in towards your towards your design and that informs how you how you'll approach it. Oh, I want my users to feel empowered. I want them to feel like we've saved time. That the tasks that they were doing before that were quite painful, we've made it a lot easier for them. So they they have a sense of relief. Now, this is just one example because there's a million different characteristics and feelings or thoughts they could come away with. But say if you take those thing that those three things like time saving, relief, and empowerment, then that gives you an idea of how you're going to approach the feature set, the kind of language you're going to use in your in your product because obviously there's a lot of copy there's a lot of ux messaging in there so you might use empowering language or time saving kind of language in in your in your workflows so that really helps uh, and, and one analogy i like to give for onboarding is to treat it like imagine the experience of going to a five-star hotel when you arrive in a hotel there's a huge amount of work that they've put into giving an impression and an experience to people who visit the, the space so everything from the way the interior is designed the way they welcome you when you get to reception in the lobby people come to help you they take your bags they ask you for what you need they tell you about the facilities events things they might have there like restaurants gyms or spas they in, they welcome you and introduce you to everything so everything around that is designed to give the the visitor or the customer a very strong experience and I sometimes liken that to onboarding in a product. When somebody comes and tries out your product for the first time, are you giving them an experience that kind of leaves them with that? Wow, they've got, they're really looking after everything I need. They, they're really caring for all of our problems. They understand us. They, uh, you know, can they relate to, to that? Do they see that you understand them and that you're solving their issues? So that's, that's a nice way to think about it. Think about it from the thoughts and feelings and emotions uh, point of view and then you can work back to towards you know instilling your product with with the kind of interactions that promote those thoughts emotions and feelings nice this is for people starting out right then indeed like giving the impression they want so saving time relieving people or uh, giving them empowerment like really giving that wow moment if you would 
change it now. Let's say somebody has revenue and they're a bit further down the line. So let's say they're just growing to 1 million ARR. What kind of advice would you give them? Because they are in a, in a different stage with different needs. What would you What would you say to them? Often with those companies, it can be that there have been areas where inside the product, user flows or interactions could be improved. And even much later than 1 million ARR, you can have bigger problems coming into the product because over time, you're always building, you're continuing to build and build and build. And you're adding to your feature set, you're adding to your navigation. So sometimes you get problems like the navigation becomes a bit messy or it's not grouped very logically or features get hidden. So we'll we'll look at what the product already does well and we'll look at, okay, where are the problem areas that we can improve? And um, if we improve those, will they make a big impact? And so then we're, you know, we're iterating on, on improvements, you know, really improving the product. One example I can give of this that I've seen happen a few times now is that once a feature set gets quite busy you know there are some features that were launched in the beginning and as new features have been introduced sometimes on an existing navigation there's not a top level menu item that perfectly accommodates one of these new features so they can get hidden or put somewhere else and over time that's a problem that grows gets bigger one thing that we've seen happen is that in settings menus there have been some very very valuable features hidden in a settings menu for the for you know the top level navigation so we'd say hey your users really value these features but they're not easy to find and some don't even know about these features so let's rethink the navigation pull some of these features out promote them in in the navigation more clearly and in other areas in the product and help users activate onto these features so it can be things like that it can be things like that there's always there's always issues that occur in products over time and there's there's plenty of things that can improve the product both for existing and for that new user experience so we're, the, the, the practice changes to looking at you know i mentioned earlier the biggest pain points what are the biggest pain areas and what ones can have the biggest impact we're looking for those and we're working through yeah yeah, with anything you do, always keep it in mind. Like that's uh, that's definitely what I would recommend as well. Maybe my um, final question on on this topic: like any other thoughts uh, which we haven't covered today, which you would like to share about UX and, and UI to other SaaS founders? I guess it's always it's it's to value the impact that it that it has, and even if you're not in a position to work on the product from you know or you don't have a product designer on the team or you don't have that skill set currently it's to learn a little about it if you can because if if you're working in a product and developing products then you can only benefit from understanding more about how design can help you deliver more value to users so if you can learn some principles that you can apply even without the you know without the cost and expense of hiring a product designer or working with an agency like us then you can still benefit you can still benefit from from it whether it's making your product a little more intuitive or innovating in a way that makes you stand out you know in the market against competitors or whether it's just improving a conversion rate in your in your product so yeah i think it's just to learn a little bit and and um see if there's something you can apply even if you don't have the, the resources that, that that's probably that would be probably be my advice i it's good <laughs> advice like i i will definitely listen 
listen to this podcast myself later on because uh, I definitely want to hear about the mistake we talked about earlier and this one again. Like uh, I'm going to implement some something from this already myself. So thank you for oh, this. I'm, I'm glad there's some uh, interesting points for you for you there. Nice. In the end, we're doing this show to help other people like me to, to get value. So uh, my opinion is if I get value, other people will get as well. So uh, thank you for this. My final question, like if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to get contact you, like how can they do it? Like what is the best way? So it would be to visit useractive.io. So that's based on, you know, the, the concept of having active users in your app. So we just turned that around and called it useractive. Io. On our website, you can book a call with me directly, and I'm always happy to talk about uh, issues or challenges or problems that founders are having with their product. It's a no obligation call, you know, so always happy to just help. Uh, we also have a few other channels. So we have a YouTube channel where I often interview founders and I also uh, shoot some videos that give product design kind of, you know, concepts and how to's and things like that. So there's some theory there. We also have a Facebook group for SaaS founders. So there's over 13,000 founders in there. So that's the SaaS founders Facebook group as well. But yeah, you can you can find me on at, at useractive.io if you want to get in touch. Good. Thank you. I definitely see you all the time on, on all the socials. Like I'm in your group. I see uh, the, the webinars coming by. So I would definitely recommend personally that people are going to check you out and uh, watch all the content because it is really good. Like this is of course the basis or like a really high level. But if you want to dive deeper, then definitely look uh, look at Peter's videos. Thanks, Johan. Appreciate that. Great. Well, thank you for being the first guest on this show. Thank you very much, Peter. And it was good seeing you again. Yeah, you too. I really enjoyed the chat and I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing your Grow Your B2B SaaS podcast uh, grow itself. I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, honored to be your first guest. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you. You've been listening to Growing a B2B SaaS. Yoran has been ahead of customer success before founding his own startup. He's experiencing the same journey you are. We hope you've gotten some actionable advice from the show. And we hope you had fun along the way. We know we did. Make sure to like, rate, and review the podcast in the meantime. To find out more and to hook up with us on our social media sites, go to www.getreadytus.com. See you next time on Growing a B2B SaaS.